Before we get started, you should probably know that the following podcast contains strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Also, it will almost certainly contain spoilers. Welcome to episode 20 of Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast given a second chance to films that might not deserve them. I'm Mitch Bain, I'm a horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. And I'm Andy Stewart, I make disgusting films and other things. And absolutely delighted to be joined by a bona fide horror legend in the yep. studio tonight. I'd um, say that's fair. No, joining us on the Skype tonight uh, it is Mr. Graham Humphreys. Hi, how are you doing? Very well, thank you Graham. very well, thank you for taking the time to do this. So Graham, you've uh, you've chosen an interesting one tonight. We're heading back to 1985 uh, with uh, Jay Schlossberg Cohen and friends, uh, Night Train to Terror. Yes, I I, uh, I apologise. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you want to tell us a little bit about why you chose it? Yes, I can. Um, I've actually only come to the film within the last couple of years, and um, it just came about through a, a, a conversation with somebody who I've only recently met, um, a gentleman called Bob Fingerman, who's um, a very accomplished uh, comic artist um, who, who's based in the States. And we were introduced via email by Andy Nyman, who uh, oh, yeah. you will know through ghost stories, etc. He had met Bob previously and in speaking to the both of us felt that we should meet because we obviously had um, certain things in common in terms of our tastes and well bad tastes obviously but uh, I remember we, we met up and um, films came up with conversation and in particular worst films and it was Bob who said that the worst film he's ever seen was Night Train to Terror which I'd not seen and not even heard of at that point and um, I, I asked him what it was that made a film so bad in his estimation and he just went through this list of um, <laughs> things and uh, the thing is with each item he named it just sounded better and better and uh, i just i had to see this film and um of course since then it's become my favorite film so it's his worst film and my favorite film <laughs> that's that's amazing i never thought i would ever meet someone who would say that night train to terror was their favorite film but here we are well you know that th- this is in the last year or so and um you know who knows next year it might be my worst film but uh, <laughs> for now i have i've shown it to uh, a number of people in fact we we had an evening at the Horse Hospital, um, which is uh, hosted by Billy Chainsaw. Right, and, okay. <laughs> um, he'd been running a series of nights with um, guests and their selected film. And uh, it was interesting. Nobody else had seen this film at all. And, um, I, 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 you know, we had a full house and um, Billy did a little interview with me and, uh, and, you know, about my work and, you know, stuff to do with horror, etc. And we settled down and watched the film, and um, you know, I think people were quite astonished in a, in a pleasurable way. I mean, people laughed, and they kind of they they sort of gasped, and um, <laughs> you know, I, I think you know, I, I got the impression that everybody really enjoyed it because it's it's quite unlike anything I've ever seen before, and I think you know, most people kind of felt the same way. And of course, um, for anybody that's seen it, one of the things that uh, uh, you, you come away with and it just doesn't leave your head um, is the the <laughs> terrible song, which just keeps popping up throughout the whole film. Excuse and, uh, me. Actually, yes, <laughs> I actually have uh, I actually have a copy, uh, a seven inch single 
which um, Vinegar Syndrome put out when they were promoting their uh, Blu-ray restoration of the film. Right. And um, it, it has this terrible song. It's on, a, it's on a blue and white piece of vinyl. This is number 37 okay. of 500 only. So that's 37. And I think it's you know been available for about two years, if not longer. So uh, that's how popular it is. <laughs> <laughs> I actually think that that song is a highlight. I am a fan. I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of the song. I think that I think, it is literally stuck in my head. Um, but yeah, I think the song functions as like a kind of palate cleanser between segments. <laughs> <laughs> if that's a palate cleanse, of course, like, you know. <laughs> What's happened to your palate before that's cleansing it? <laughs> Uh, right, um, Graham. Before we get, before we get kind of right into the kind of meat of this thing, we do um, ask everyone that comes on the show to do one thing. What we're going to do is Andy's going to put thirty seconds on the clock, and for the benefit of anyone who's listening to the episode without having seen the film, we're going to give you thirty seconds to give your best synopsis. Are you ready to? Are you are you good to go with this? I am indeed. Yes, you'll have to stop me because I'll just carry on. Oh you know, no, we'll it's, stop it's you. Much to say. Yeah, we'll stop you. Right, I'll, you I'll count you in. Okay, you ready? Okay. Right. Three, two, one, go. Night Train to Terror. Uh, Well, I suppose it's an anthology, a horror anthology. Um, Three tales with a wraparound, which is a train in which God and Satan uh, sit quite happily uh, um, discussing uh, the fates of all the people on the train. And uh, they're hoping basically to win over the souls, either to the bad side or the good side. And... um, Betwixt all of this, you have this absurd um, band, a sort of 80s time. band in a Ooh, very time. new... Rem- oh, that damn. It? That's it, time. 30 seconds vanishes unbelievably quickly, I think, when you're doing that. Yes, okay. But that's, again, not the worst we've had. No, far from it. And I would say that like the scene set, because you're quite right, we're aboard a train, uh, destination unknown, with loads of passengers, including this band. And, uh, yeah, more to the point, uh, God and Satan. Yeah, a band and a myriad of backing dancers. Um, although I question the band's um, ability, given that uh, no one seems to be in any way playing an instrument, more just holding them and waving them around. But yeah, yeah. Well, I don't think the band the band is never really named, and uh, one, one presumes they're kind of shooting a video by the way it's uh, looking, uh, <laughs> it or it's just way, a blatant it? video. But um, but yeah, it's interestingly the um, the the singer is played by the writer's son, Byron Jordan, uh, the writer being Philip Jordan. And um, it's not actually him singing, of course. It's uh, somebody called Joe Tirano, um, yep. who presumably wrote... I don't, maybe he, he certainly sings a song if he didn't write it. So basically, he's kind of lip-syncing to somebody else. I did actually try and trace Byron, because it, he's such a fascinating character in, in, in you know, the worst possible way. <laughs> I, I, I think he seems to... He clearly lives in a state somewhere, and... Um, from what I can understand, he looks like he teaches fencing. Uh, right, okay. So, yeah, that, oh, well. that's a sort of career um, trajectory, isn't it? Yeah, that's I mean, it. he obviously had some skill as a dancer. Yeah, if... uh, well, yeah, I mean, you know, if, if spinning around on your back is, is, <laughs> is a skill. Um, yeah, he, 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 I mean, I think, um, you know, in the 1980s, anybody of a certain age, you know, could uh, uh, shuffle around uh, and, and impress slightly uh, on the dance floor. I, I don't know if there's any um, particular dance skill there, really. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't but know it, about the level of dance acumen involved. In there, yeah. I guess. Uh, Graham, can I ask a quick question? Um, see, uh, you said that you know, you've got the vinyl. Can I ask um, how is it credited? The song, like, wh- like who is the artist it's credited to? Is it just Joe Tirano or is there like a fictional band name? Or it, it says um, it says everybody 
But You, and that's the name of the song. Uh-huh. Music and lyrics by Charlene Brown, arrangement uh-huh. by Robert O'Connor, vocals by Joe Tirano. Right, okay. And okay. some additional vocals. Right, okay. I was just, I was, I was just wondering if, uh, if, the ba- if, if the band had been kind of posthumously named <laughs> um, with that, <laughs> but no. Oh, yeah, spoiler alert. No, it just it just says a rock band give their final performance on a hellbound trip into the outer reaches of horror. <laughs> Amazing, <laughs> that's so good. So we're a train. We're on board a train, as you say. God and Satan seated opposite each other. A conductor appears, kind of advises the train's going to crash at dawn. So the devil kind of makes a convincing pitch for hell over heaven. Yeah. The be- like the benefits of. Uh, it's worth noting actually that when the the conductor comes in, he addresses the devil as Mister Satan, which I feel is so as if Satan's his surname, like Stephen Satan, which I thought was a bit on the nose. Yeah, well, actually, apparently, uh, in the end credits, um, that character is credited as being played by Lou Cipher. <laughs> <laughs> no way! <laughs> That's amazing. That's a great spot. <laughs> <laughs> the actor is Tony Giorgio, who yeah. I was looking at his. Uh, I mean, he's been a very busy man um, in his acting career and uh, has appeared in other th- uh, such things as The Godfather, can you believe? No Magnum Force and Foxy Brown. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Quite the CV. Yeah. And he is seated opposite Ferdy Main as God, wearing a, a white suit and a white beard to indicate his godliness. Yes, and uh, of course, uh, Ferdy Main um, was uh, probably best loved as Count von Krolock in The Fearless Vampire Killers, uh, mm-hmm. Roman Polanski's yep. uh, homage to uh, Hammer. And of course, it actually... He appears in the Hammer Lovers as well. Uh, the, sorry, the Vampire Lovers, and uh, also Hawk the Slayer. I understand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There you go. The train is actually bound for Las Vegas. Um, interestingly, I don't, I don't recall that ever being mentioned, but um, no. uh, 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 this is what I glean anyway. That's news to me. I must say. Um, I actually like a lot of the interactions between God and Satan, the, the kind of theological back and forth between them. To me, it's one of the things about the film that I like the most. Yeah, I quite like the, the idea they're kind of sitting over what looks like a sort of light box. <laughs> but uh, it, it, the devil gets the best lighting. I noticed though, he gets the real sort of uh, Mario <laughs> Barber lighting, and, yeah. and say, uh, and God just gets the sort of the white kind of flat white look yeah it's like fairly neutral lighting for god isn't it well you know i guess he doesn't really need um doesn't need all the uh, decoration does he <laughs> indeed he does <laughs> much not. less fanfare and yeah, so the, the 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 kind of structure of the framing device kind of takes shape here when we realise that basically they're going to be reviewing the case or the cases of uh, three souls and yes. kind of determining their fate. And with that, we fire straight into the first of the three segments, and I would say probably in my estimation, probably the one that does the least for me: the case of Harry Billings. Yes, which of course uh, <laughs> stars uh, John Philip Law, best known as um, Pygor in Barbarella, the Angel, yep. and also Danger Diabolique as well. Um, yeah, it's uh, weird how they kind of shoehorned these you know, quite quite gifted actors into this kind of terrible concoction. But uh, of course, I, I think it has to be said that uh, this film is essentially cobbled together from um, three not very good films. Um, I think two were actually kind of released, got some sort of release as feature films. I think the third, from what I understand, was unfinished. And um, the writer, Philip Jordan, had a hand in um, all three of them. Okay. So he had access to the materials. I certainly believe that this one was unfinished. Um, This was an unfinished film, I believe, called Scream Your Head Off. That's, yes, I've got that information as well, yeah. Yeah. If you're looking for a linear storyline, you're in the wrong place. Yeah. <laughs> um, look elsewhere because this this segment, I would say, perhaps more than any of the other ones, is wild. <laughs> yeah, it's it's probably the the most uh, exploitative of all of them. It's certainly the goriest mm-hmm. and um, uh, has a high breast count. Oh, and I do remember so. um, 
watching it in front of the audience, uh, Billy's um, uh, film night, and um, actually suddenly feeling a bit embarrassed because it kind of seemed a bit more um, gratuitous than I remembered it being. But, um, but you know, I, I, I people stayed with it. And um, I think, you know, it has its kind of rewards. It, it certainly uh, doesn't hold back on the horror. No, I think I think you're, you're onto something there, though, as well, because they because the other segments, none of the segments are really kind of uh, short of the kind of nudity or violence or mm-hmm. gore kind of thing. But this is the only one that does feel kind of looted. <laughs> That's a perfect one. Yeah, lure is a good word. And I actually remember feeling quite sick the first time I saw it as well. It's just got, a, <laughs> got that kind of real kind of visceral feel to it, which is you're not quite sure how far it's going to go. And, um, you know, it, it, it keeps teasing and, um, and, then, and then sort of delivering. And, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's kind of quite a queasy viewing, I think. Yeah, so I, I remember uh, feeling something quite similar when I went to see Frankenstein's Army at uh, the Fright Fest. Um... 2013, I remember that film, Frankenstein's Army. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It actually made me feel really ill. It could have been The Hangover, uh, I don't know, but um, <laughs> I just had a big cup of coffee and uh, it was early in the morning and I really felt quite sick afterwards. But it just it just gave me that kind of same nauseous kind of feeling. Um, I think it's just, I, I, sometimes I can watch a film and get quite involved in it and um, um, well, those body parts suddenly seem quite real sometimes. Yeah. And, um, I can tell you quite literally and... Uh, um, yeah, I, I, I thought it was quite effective for that reason, but you know, perhaps um, other people just saw it and just thought it was um, just you know quite trashy. <laughs> um, so, like this one, this segment doesn't waste any time. I mean, it pretty much opens with uh, Harry Billings himself driving his car over a bridge, um, kind of like through the protestations of his wife. She dies. He's taken to an asylum. You say protestations. She's more concerned about that he's going a little bit fast rather than the fact that he's weaving around the road like a maniac that's true yeah <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah ult- ultimately uh yeah, she, 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 <laughs> yeah exactly. yes. perhaps it's no surprise that he carries off a bridge she's, she's got her priorities locked down but yeah she dies he's taken to an asylum mental hospitals graham a mainstay of the films that we um, seem to come up on this podcast uh so yeah this one entering the pantheon of uh podcast films that are that have Portion set in a mental asylum. So when he wakes up, he's addressed by a Dr. Fargo. Dr. Who's Fargo. Analy- mm-hmm. uh, analyzing him. I think this is kind of funny because he wakes up and you're kind of, I think it's framed and it looks like this is him waking up and kind of acknowledging his surroundings for the first time. Mm-hmm. So he understandably kind of has some questions about where he is and what's going on and she answers none of them before she leaves the room. Well, she, she does tell him that dinner will be served soon. So. <laughs> Answers none of his questions, but gives him that tasty tip. Oh, mercy. (laughs) (laughs) We're also given some extremely heavy-handed voiceover that tells us that Harry is the kind of guy, he's a salesman by day, he's a drinker, womanizer, loves cars, but he's about to enter a new life of terror, which I think is wonderful. Well, I think this is also part of the problem that... um... You know, the sequence is, is cut down from a longer piece and, uh, you know, they, they've had to kind of uh, just remove material, I guess, for, for <laughs> brevity. And uh, so, so explanations aren't really kind of needed, I don't think, really. They just want to get straight to the breasts and the um, severed limbs. And um, so, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think uh, plots and, um, you know, kind of subtleties are needed here well if it's breasts you're after the very next shot after the doctor leaves the room is another person strapped to a gurney and in this time it's a completely naked woman quite an unconventional facility this <laughs> yeah uh, I, I think that's for um, yes the audience's entertainment I don't think it's really <laughs> there's, there's no benefits to her being naked strapped to a table really. no, I wouldn't say so No, I, I think like just as we're talking about this segment it's got me thinking about the fact that the three segments that we're looking at here are boiled down from unfinished or kind of features of sorts kind of explains a lot of how disjointed some of them feel 
<laughs> in the way that in the like in the way the stories unfold and i think that this is another one that i think jumps around quite a bit but that kind of that kind of settles my head on why i sometimes kind of felt like things were feeling very kind of unduly condensed and sometimes felt a little bit rushed it kind of it answers a lot of those questions i didn't realize that going in yeah well it's interesting i mean we, we probably all see so many films that we think oh i wish they'd be shorter you know there's <laughs> so much stuff here which to be trimmed out and of course that's kind of what they've done they trimmed out all the uh, stuff that probably wasn't going to be entertaining um which kind of leaves you with um sort of a lack of plots and uh uh, a, lack of, uh, a lack of clarity but um you know it does it does boil it down though to the sort of the what one might call the good bit yeah <laughs> for um, sure for sure so after we get a glimpse of how unprofessional this hospital is jesus christ <laughs> we're right into a scene of electroshock <laughs> therapy it wastes absolutely no time yeah well, i guess it's um it kind of reminded me of um some of the sort of 1980s lovecraft adaptations in a way you know, and yeah. i kind of got a hint of a uh, reanimator in there and a yeah. hint of uh, various other films of that ilk um but it, it did feel like it ought to have been uh, some sort of uh lovecraft uh, adaptation of sorts um it never gives you that of course but um <laughs> you know we're, we're, we're denied any sort of demonic kind of elements but uh it, it's certainly about um uh you know certainly elements of revenge uh, which which play out quite quite bloodily <laughs> absolutely yeah yeah um around this time we have a couple arrive at the kind of at the facility they no, they're lost and i was gonna say the car's broken down i knew that wasn't right they they're lost aren't they yeah um see the guy that answers the door right yeah is he a patient or a security guard or he works there he, he works there he's like an orderly yeah yeah uh, yeah the big bloke with the odd hair and um sort of a little bit sort of like day makeup it looks like around the eyes <laughs> yeah, exactly uh but yeah no but uh, so yeah he's on the payroll though that this guy yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. um and yeah obviously so they both come in she tries to make a phone call ultimately they're both kind of grabbed seized and um it jumps away at this point and we realize that harry's kind of under hypnosis at this point oh god is that I... like a hypnosis uh, like kind of a it almost seems like he's being administered with like a hypnosis injection yeah or like a soluble yeah, hypnosis I think, pill. I think the indication is that he, he, he's been uh, drugged and hypnotized and um, basically his function is to lure um, unsuspecting customers, shall we say, in order that um, the evil doctor can harvest their limbs and body parts for clients unspecified. You know, it, it's not it's not entirely clear. Um, <laughs> but then, you know, what what is in this segment anyway? No, very true. And I think it does kind of like, it, it kind of, it does kind of answer its own questions a little bit as it goes on. But it kind of shows you the things in an order that kind of poses a question and answers it. Because... Uh, you see him at the bar next. That's actually, you've, that's kind of back to front, but that's okay. But there is a bit in the bar with the guy with the Panama hat, um, yes. who is amazing. Yeah, I, I, I kind of thought of, um, it kind of was like a Coen Brothers. Yeah, love that guy, more of that guy. <laughs> and then there's a real load of pinballing scenes where we bounce around from the orderly molesting the girl on the gurney to a scene in, the, in a church with an extra, by the way, who cannot stop looking at the camera and smiling. <laughs> um, <laughs> And, yes, uh, I noticed that as well. <laughs> she's having a whale of a time. <laughs> she's got no idea of the film that she's in. It's just, it, it, it's madness, absolute madness, for quite a prolonged period of time um, before the story yeah. kind of comes back around again. It's just like a series of scenes, set pieces almost, and murders, yeah. disjointed murders, and then it kind of ties it up. Yeah, it'd be interesting to watch the um, fuller version, you know, the, the, the bit that's, all the bits that were cut out, all the explanation, the reasons. <laughs> <laughs> I think that'd be pretty interesting. I would like to see it. It, would, it seems to me like the kind of the kind of trashy film I would quite get off on. I'd quite enjoy that. I'm, I'm sure we can seek it out. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
so Harry, obviously, he's kind of he's under the influence of various things. It seems also it seems like he's kind of getting a little bit kind of uh, manipulated emotionally by Doctor Fargo as well. You get this kind of establishing kind of very brief scene where she's kind of talking about it's always what his wife would have wanted and all this kind of thing. You um, mean where her clothes disappear in one cut? She goes from being dressed like a doctor to being in her underwear in the same scene. <laughs> yeah, I, I I kind of got a hint of uh, she who must be obeyed. Um, it's almost like I, I, I presume that she was kind of falling for him. And, um, doesn't she kill her husband? And um, uh, I think that decides that she, decides that she's going to go into business with uh, Harry. She lobotomizes him. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if he's killed. She lo- she lobotomizes him, doesn't she? Yeah. Well, she. Yeah. Drop- again, it kind of that kind of reminded me of Reanimator as well. Yeah. And he's got a kind of silk kimono on, and she drops a blue pill in his champagne, and I was like, oh, I. Here we go. And then it turns out it wasn't the kind of blue pill I was expecting. It seemed like it was a knockout pill of sorts. And yeah, he gets lobotomized. Um, there's one of the better shots and moments in the whole film is in here, though, I think. I think it's it's one of the instances where um one of the women is about to get her organs harvested. And when that's about to happen, the camera kind of pulls away from that with her screaming in the background and then kind of pulls into the side room where you see all the tools and all the human limbs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it kind of pans around that in this really chaotic fashion. I quite like that. I think that's probably that's probably my favourite moment of this segment. Yeah, yeah some quite um, sophisticated filming, I think, in there. I mean, you know, there, there's a good film struggling to get out. Um, it kind of never does. But, uh, you know, there's some you know, quite, quite... I mean, it's never not entertaining, uh, and, and that's one of the reasons why I love it. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, this is just the first segment as well. I kind of felt quite satisfied that I'd had a good night out already at that moment. <laughs> well, that's the thing about this film. Because everything that might be conceived as plot or boring has been excised, what you're left with is a whole bunch of very interesting and funny moments cobbled together into a vague story. And it, as a result of that, you don't get a chance to be bored. Well, no, but I quite like the idea that um, where, where things aren't explained, it's just that, that wonderful thing where you can just make it make it up yourself, though, and um, <laughs> create your own your own sort of inner script. Yeah, choose your own adventure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Harry kind of like like so he kind of wants a regular life after um, Doctor Fargo's kind of subdues her husband, Lobotism. You're right, Graham. She approaches Harry about this idea of kind of setting up together. He wants nothing to do with that and kind of makes a bid for freedom and. At this point, uh, Dr. Fargo ends up subdued and also on a gurney. And at that point, I kind of asked the question of how many different people have been strapped to a gurney in the last 10 minutes. Lots. <laughs> uh, an awful lot. Um, but uh, yeah, ha- Harry, uh, he's, he's, his kind of break for freedom goes pretty well. He successfully defeats the kind of orderly guard guy, ultimately by decapitating him with a sword. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love the expression on the guy's face just before he's going to be decapitated. He suddenly realised, yes, I am going to use my head and makes this extraordinary kind of expression. <laughs> it's like, I, I thought that exact thing. That and the actual kind of decapitation moment are both amazing. Yeah, yeah. There's, uh, yes, there's, some, there's a really good rubber head. Yeah, there's some wonderful rubber heads on show across the <laughs> across the whole thing, I think. Um, and we kind of come straight out with this into uh, so we've got we we're back on like that's kind of the end of the segment we're back on the train and um again some good theological back and forth here and i think like some pretty good like weighing up of the circumstances because they're talking about obviously harry being a killer and things like that but uh-huh. also the notion that obviously he was kind of under duress and under the influence yep and things like that ultimately deciding on what i think is a fairly punitive shout a hundred years in purgatory <laughs> Well, you, you've been on network rail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I 
feels like that sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everyone on there is in 100 years in Brixton. Uh, we also <laughs> learn at this point that most musicians go to hell. Apparently Satan doesn't like the 80s pop band that have taken over the train. Well, yeah, they say the devil has all the best music. He doesn't seem to be that interested, though, but um, um, I think he's, perhaps he's just seen the costumes they're wearing yeah. and probably thought, nah. <laughs> Yeah. Even even I can draw the line. <laughs> yeah. Even sitting has yeah. his limits. One guy has about at least seven belts on. <laughs> That's how you know we're in the eighties. Um, so yeah, we get kind of like, like I say, what I kind of characterise as a pal- uh, some palate cleansing band footage here, including some uh, extremely boisterous mimed saxophone. <laughs> uh, which, which I mean, I, I'm not gonna lie. I mean, that see when we were talking before you came on, Graham, and you said that the song was gonna take over, the song was gonna drive me insane. Like you yeah. have just no idea how right you are. It's been in my head all day. <laughs> um, I watched this last night and then again today, and um, yeah, it's it's been kind of it's been kind of haunting me all day um, at work. But we power straight into another segment here: the case of Greta Connors. <laughs> this might be my favorite segment, I think, of the three. Definitely, I think there's stuff going on here that I respond to the most. Um, and also, uh, we get we kind of get going in that like this is Satan's top pick. Like Satan really wants Greta. Yeah. So she's selling popcorn at the fairground at the start of this. We like immediately get this kind of thing where in the opening kind of voiceover, she's described as kind of a struggling pianist who is uh, selling popcorn and amongst other things at the fairground to make ends meet. Uh, and then we almost immediately, uh, that's kind of like, it's contradicted with them saying that she wants to be an actress. Yeah. Um, what's your point? Yeah, I mean, like, obviously, like, I understand that of the kind of inconsistencies here, it's a relatively minor one. Right. But yeah, we get, so we get um, Greta, and she's approached by... Uh, George Youngmeyer. George Youngmeyer. Yeah. In his finest at the fairground suit. <laughs> it, I think he got different Burton's. Yeah. 1972. Yeah, this moment's weird. <laughs> this is entirely inappropriate in every way, shape. At that and... moment, you mean the whole film? Well, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but this this part in particular made me uneasy. His approach to her uh, as a cla- as a customer. Oh, this is so um, creepy. <laughs> he says some sh- kind of creepy stuff to her. He puts money down her top, lots of money down her top. Oh, enough to buy out her entire popcorn supply. Uh, he buys her in this moment and then throws away, wastes a perfectly good popcorn. Yeah, very, very creepy. Doesn't she do... Um, is she a porn actress, though? Oh, yeah, she do, does. Do I get yeah. that wrong? Ultimately, she is, now. So I wonder if, so I wonder if he, maybe he's seen, seen her films and he knows who she is and what she does. See, my understanding of it was that... Because um, in, in voiceover, like I say, she's introduced, I think, originally as a musician, and she's kind of come here to kind of seek fame and fortune, and she seems to tumble into a kind of a de facto relationship with uh, Youngmeyer. <laughs> But I think that he ends up putting her in his films, but I don't know if she had a background in that or not. Yeah, again, I think, we, you know, a, a, first, a fuller film would have given us that information, but I, we're not going to do it, really, though. But I did read, um, well, I'll let you go further with that, though, because there is another um, quite bizarre plot point which is missing from this abridged version. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, okay. You'll, you'll be thrilled. Oh, right. madness. <laughs> Ah, uh, no. Um, so, yeah, so it's, um, she kind of, like I say, she kind of seems to establish some kind of working or otherwise relationship with uh, George Youngmeyer. She yeah. ends up in kind of his films. And it's at this point that we that we meet Glenn Marshall, who is watching one of these films with his kind of frat bros yeah. and kind of becomes obsessed with her and uh, uh, needs to know where she is and kind of wants to meet her and kind of just becomes kind of obsessed with her. Yeah, Richard Mole, that's the actor's name. He, he pops up, pops up in, in each of the segments, I do believe, actually. Yeah, in uh, some various in various wigs. Does he actually? Yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, it's it's very odd that um, 
you know, I can suppose imagine he's kind of almost this good guy. Of, I mean, he presents a very clean living kind of look. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, there he is, kind of like you know, basically in this wank club with um his mates, kind of. You know, getting pissed. <laughs> so it's kind of it's very hard to. Uh, you know, kind of um, consolidate how, how that's supposed to pan out, really. That's that's a good point, actually. I hadn't really considered that, but it's like it's totally the opposite of the save the cat moment you're supposed to have when you introduce a good character. Yeah. <laughs> 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 hadn't, hadn't even occurred to me. He seems to make it his, his mission to get Greta and make Greta his own, and then the next scene, he has. <laughs> yeah, this is this is another it's, kind of it's another it's another kind of a byproduct to the kind of narrative acceleration. Yeah, it's all worked out perfectly by this point. Uh, well, not exactly perfectly because Jungmeier is not pleased about this. Well, of course, and un- understandably. And we cut back to um, footage at the f- footage at the fairground again. Then back at the same fairground for a long, long time. Um, I would make the contention that all like it's fairly transparent that all the fairground footage was shot on the same day because oh, yeah. Jungmeier is wearing the same suit. <laughs> Um, when we re- <laughs> when we revisit it, so yeah, he's um kind of uh he's kind of enraged at the fact that he's kind of been deserted by uh, Greta and she's gone with Glenn. His brand of revenge or his attempts at revenge are unbelievably elaborate. <laughs> <laughs> or believably, I don't know, depending. Um, and also, I bet all the actors had to pay for their own fairground rides as well. <laughs> the, the uh, budget. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I've made films. I know the. I know all about budgetary limitation. It would have been easier for him to just shoot him dead, uh, or he could have sabotaged the fairground rides. But what he does is so ludicrously elaborate and left in a way to chance. Are you talking about the the club he inducts them into? Yeah, the death yeah. club. Yeah, I think it's um, suggested that she had actually attempted suicide at some point because I believe that all, all the members of the club are, are people who have you know, had that near-death experience either by their own hand or, or perhaps they've been involved in some terrible right. accident and have survived and uh, they've all discovered that um, they found it rather thrilling. So they get together in, in this death club uh, in order to recreate um, that sort of ultimate moment of excitement, ah. uh, which is essentially, I mean, there are variations on Russian roulette yeah. uh, where one of them is going to die and um, they find it all very thrilling. Right, that makes more sense. This is also set in a, what appears to be a paper mache castle. <laughs> yes, I think that was um, shoehorned in um, <laughs> the segment just for um, you know a bit of extra visual interest, shall we say? I, I was reading that um, the original effects in, in the the longer um, features such. We're, we're not up to scratch. Um, and, and <laughs> when you look at the effects in this version, it's hard to believe there was actually another version <laughs> which was worse, but oh um, that seems to be the case. Apparently, well, um, probably rushing on a little bit though, the first uh, sequence of, of um, group peril, should we say, involves a, a giant bug, and this, this deadly bug is in a jar, and it, it, it seems to be about sort of eight inches long. It's the most ludicrous kind of looking bug with. Um, Big, big glowing eyes and apparently the original bug was actually just a, a, a rubber bug on a piece of string uh, which they kind of felt was um, just not doing the job so it's been uh, replaced here with um, uh, a stop motion bug I which must... kind of you know looks equally it's ridiculous I'm sure I, I must admit I, I think that like see because obviously there's there's quite a few of the kind of and we can get to the others um, as we go but there's quite a few of the kind of stop motion things in this I think that all the stop motion stuff in this film is really charming. And I think um, <laughs> pot- potentially none more so than the giant bug, which I just think is brilliant. Well, I, 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 I was quite fascinated by the um, bug vision 
I, you know, when it flies around the room and over around the guests, it's actually quite a nice little bit of filming there. I kind of, mm-hmm. I, I, was, I, in, I was being very generous in thinking that it was kind of a bit like uh, Argento's opera, where you got the, um, you know, the the the, the bird's eye view mm-hmm. of, of the uh, opera house. It's obviously nowhere near as uh, sophisticated as that, and um, <laughs> probably it's just one of those things that the films, uh, you know, routinely so dreadful that actually anything it's, it's mildly um, clever kind of suddenly. Um, becomes quite elevated. <laughs> and as I was saying, we've actually we've spoken about this kind of thing before. A few a few weeks ago, uh, we, me and Andy did this ourselves, and Andy chose the film The Incredible Melton Man, and we were talking about that. Whereas, like, obviously, that film is not without its problems, but there's something. There's an incredible individual shot in it when he's kind of crossing the bridge. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was saying that, like, I think that, like, when you see moments of kind of technical proficiency or flair in a film that is kind of a little bit short on them. I think that it's actually like, it's quite nice to see these kind of like moments of kind of what, like kind of real filmmaking coming through. Yeah. It's almost like as if the director forgot himself and suddenly, you know, thought, well, I can actually do something quite interesting here and um, <laughs> budget be damned. And uh, I will, I will have this shot. <laughs> I'll make it my own. Yeah. And uh, it's almost kind of that, that's what's going on. I think though, but um, obviously the decision was made to, to use his stop motion. And, um, you know, I, I've got no problem with stop motion at all. In fact, this, this last weekend I went to uh Fantastic screening of a, a newly restored uh, First Men on the Moon, Ray Harryhausen's oh, film yeah. from 1964, which, um, you know, boasts some you know, fantastic stop motion stuff. And, um, you know, there's a lot to be said for, uh, for for this sort of, you know, quite jerky kind of stuff. And it's, it, has, it has its own kind of uh, texture, shall we say. Yeah. You actually, you kind of, you know, it's stop motion, but there's something about it, which when it's um, uh, added into kind of real life footage, it, it kind of has this kind of quite quite creepy look to it, though it's a yeah. very otherworldly look. And I think I think the bug actually was quite terrifying, as absurd as it is. There's something quite nasty about it, and also you just know that when it bites, it's going to be a really nasty, bloody bite. Yeah, well. I, I think that um, the, like the entire way this is set up with the rules and stuff, I think like everyone has to obviously kind of stay bolt still, and it might just fly out the window and all that kind of stuff. I, I quite like the way this entire sequence is set up. I quite like all the Death Club traps. Yeah. What I like about the stop motion here is that they obviously hadn't been able to quite get the live-action actor in a scene with the stop motion quite right, like maybe they did in Clash of the Titans and stuff like that. So everything within the scene is stop motion, even like the hands and other characters, um, they're replaced with kind of stop motion figurines as well. Um, I think that's an issue with the idea that um, in the original version, it was just a rubber insect on a piece of string. So I think they probably had to either uh, try to add the stop motion over the top or literally they just reshot those scenes entirely, which meant that obviously they couldn't necessarily use the actors. So I I guess that's kind of why that's happened. That makes sense. (laughs) That does make more sense, actually. Um, Uh, Than any kind of of directorial decision. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Um, And ultimately, of course, uh, this is so Jungmeier's first attempt to indirectly to to kill Glenn, it doesn't go to plan because uh, the beetle kind of ignores everyone in the room, flies out the window, and ultimately his victim is just a guy who's having a casual sexual encounter on a bench nearby. Um, and you're right enough, uh, Graham. Uh, it's a it, it is, is always the way though. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if I had a parent, and if I had a parent, way off script. <laughs> um, it is a pretty nasty bite when it happens. Yeah, it causes the man's head to explode. Yes, you haven't seen a bite like that since um, The Mist, which I really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Mitch, you told me that you had to rewind this to check that it was actually a head. Yes, um, <laughs> the first time I was... 
the first time was like, it looked like an approximation of a human head but um i i rewound it and rewatched it just uh to show that to show that up yeah that was, that was pretty amazing yeah, so that one doesn't go to plan. Jungmeier's continual attempts to get revenge get more elaborate. We go downstairs to another deadly game, this time involving an electric shock machine. Now, maybe you can help us out with this. I doubt it. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so, You've seen it, <laughs> Jeez. Um, so Greta seems to be absent from this scene downstairs. Well, now this probably brings me to that surprising thing, which is not in the film, okay, uh, which was in the extended version. Uh, she is, it's just she's got a different haircut. Uh, yeah. She's got short hair, right. um, where she has long hair in the rest of the film. Apparently, I understand that um, what, what kind of um, benefit to the plot this brought, I've no idea, but she decides that she's going to change her sex and um, become a man. And there, apparently there is a, a scene in a club where he, um, um, our hero goes to see her and it's a, 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 a bloke at the piano who mysteriously looks a little bit like Greta, but it actually is Greta. So she is in her in man mode right. in that mm-hmm. um, in, in this particular um, suicide bid uh, with short hair. See, right. yeah, I've, I've got. Did written... you see that coming? Did you? No, no I've no. got written here in my notes. Is this a wait? Is this a new actress playing an androgynous Greta? I just thought. Well, I, 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 I think it is meant. To, I think it's the same actress. I, I, I'm now. I have. I have to admit that I've had to kind of read up on this a little bit, though. Uh, the impression I got was that it's the same actress, but with a completely different hair, which kind of makes it look very, very different. I see. Okay. Um, uh, so there you go. There you go, Graham. You sold yourself short. I knew, you got, I knew you'd have the answer. <laughs> but uh, very disarming uh, and very, very confusing. If, unlike Graham, you're not armed with that knowledge. Uh, Absolutely. I yeah. didn't have the foggiest... I didn't have a fucking clue what was going on. Um, <laughs> I quite like the... The, the 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 machine itself is is kind of like a sort of sentient computer, isn't it? Almost, so yeah. Kind of, mm-hmm. um, it it seems to be some sort of diabolical kind of machine <laughs> with almost like a face. Yeah, yeah. It's a very articulate, very articulate machine. It is, yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. I don't think it'll paid equity rights. I'm sure though, but uh, it's it's oh, no. uh, it's just curious that it, it's um it's almost like another character within the scene. And um, it, again, it's it's one of these extraordinary things that you kind of feel this is another film that's been shoehorned in. I mean, there was a spate of uh, satanic machine films, I, I recall, in the, sort of, uh, in the 70s, and it kind of fits in quite nicely with those. But, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's again, electrocution stuff always makes me feel quite queasy. I remember seeing um, The Green Mile mm-hmm. and uh, being so shocked at the botched execution scene. I literally could not watch that film uh, for another 20 years. And it just really... Um, I mean, really, it really upset me. I, I, I literally did not sleep for about five days afterwards. That is absolutely horrifying. That is. That I really is. always remember way, way back in the day when I was kind of finding horror and seeking out mad shit. The first time I saw Faces of Death, finding the electrocution scene in Faces of Death, one of the most horrifying things in that whole film, a film full of horrifying things. I totally get what you mean, Graham. Yeah. So, so yeah, so it, this is not looking good already, is it, then? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, I, I think, though, that this sequence does give us what is, in my opinion, probably my favourite death of the film. Uh, so the person who ends up getting the shock is, I'm not sure if this character has a name, but the guy who we're saying kind of like, the style is a little borrowed from uh, Jimi Hendrix. Yes, well, that's, that's fair to say. Yeah. Uh, so he gets this kind of like, he, so he gets the red light shock, the ultimate, and um, uh, still has the presence of mind to, to deliver the parting line, Mr. Marshall, excuse me while I smoke. <laughs> yes. Amazing. 
Um, and then, <laughs> and then his head is um, hastily replaced with a prosthetic head, and the subsequent sequence of him kind of being fried, I think, is absolutely brilliant. Yeah, but it goes on and on, doesn't it? Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so protracted. Curious, yeah. curious filming techniques going on. But apparently, <clears throat> this was also um, added in just for this uh, this newer shortened version. That that was a um, that that whole kind of sequence. Um, was obviously not half as spectacular in its original form. Right. Okay. Okay. I'm glad it is. I think, like I say, I think it's spectacular. So moving on quickly, if you were sitting thinking, do you know what this film really needs right now? It's a martial arts fight sequence. <laughs> then you, my friend, are in luck because there's one coming up right after this. Yeah, a bunch of toughs break into Glenn's house and attack Glenn in the night. Yeah, by order of George. By order of George, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he, yeah, he puts up a fair battle before he is caught in a net like a giant butterfly. Yeah. <laughs> and taken to take part in the third death party or death club challenge. And at this point, it all to me starts to feel a bit like uh, the old Batman series, the old Adam West one. <laughs> <laughs> it's so needlessly convoluted it fills me with joy I thought it was quite sweet they're all in sleeping bags aren't they yeah, who decided that there's the, a sleepover party <laughs> who decided that the ideal restraint device to keep people in place before this giant fucking wrecking ball falls on them is a sleeping bag <laughs> it's genius <laughs> I love the fact that I'm uh, see in the previous two scenes, like you're saying, you know, like there's a Russian roulette element to both of the previous two, uh, to to the two traps, the beetle and the uh, the electroshock machine, and there's that character who both times and uh, say as it says, as you can see, there's an empty chair, not unlike the empty chamber in Russian roulette. You mean the Russian guy who but, won't stop fucking talking, talking about, about Russian, Russian roulette? roulette. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And then, it, and then in the third one, when there's no empty sleeping bag, he just goes, "You could say we're all gonna have a ball." And then there's just this kind of thing where you just feel like everybody's like, oh, "This fucking guy." See, it was all that stuff. It was all that stuff that got me thinking of Batman. Yeah, like, yeah, amazing. yeah. It's, yeah, no, Glenn, I expect you to die. It's Bond, isn't it? Yeah, um, uh, yeah that's Bond. Yeah, never mind. Yeah, this is. I think this is particularly elaborate. Um, yeah. so the wrecking ball is sw- swinging kind of on a motor. No, it's just, I That's think right, it's yes, just... in, a, in a big circle, which yeah. is, um, you know, the trajectory would, you know, take it to one of their heads, basically. But yes, of course, it's on a rope. And um, just to um, make it more elaborate, uh, on each um, circuit of its swing, it um, brushes past a, a, a sort of a, a, well, I guess some sort of sword or sort of uh, um, some teeth on a piece of metal, which uh, are gradually going to uh, chew into the rope and uh, release it at some point yeah. onto one of the heads. Um, of course, it's, it's never in any doubt that it's going to land on a head. The fact there's lots of space between them is never particularly addressed at yeah, all. I don't see so that it could too much. It's yeah. on the floor, and that's it. I mean, you could say that there's empty spaces, not unlike the empty chamber in Russian roulette. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think, like, um, uh, I think that this would have been. I think that the way that this is actually shot is fine. I think that, like, you know, the kind of the close up of the rope getting kind of sliced incrementally and stuff i think all that stuff it's done in a way that's pretty suspenseful i think that what would have made it more suspenseful from an in-scene perspective is if there had been more than one blade because there was only ever going to be one point where the rope was cut which makes it kind of guessable where the ball's going to fall because am am i right in saying that there's only one blade on one line yeah which means that like there's spots in that circle where you could 100 percent be safe i think well (laughs) you know i guess if if there's only a sort of thin thread hanging still that, that could just it could snap. You know, give yeah. you that little chance to carry on the swing a bit further. Ah, there you go. Graham, we've got an um, answer for everything. By the way, that's the end. That's pretty much the end of that segment. Greta and Glenn live happily ever after. 
Um, the Countess, uh, the co-runner, the co-proprietor of the Death Club, is the one who is ultimately killed by the mm-hmm. wrecking ball. Yeah, and you're right. Yeah, at that point, the segment abruptly ends. And we are told that um, kind of Greta and Glenn go on to live happily ever after. They still carry on negotiating for her soul, though. Uh-huh. And I think God takes this one. Well, I think it's uh, the idea that... Um... That she might have uh, been somebody who tried to commit suicide uh, in, 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 you know, in, in the sort of plot that we don't get to see um, because of the, the uh, abbreviated version. Um, so I think there's that, and also perhaps there's some element of complicity as well that that's suggested. So uh, yeah, I think that um, yes, yeah, she, she whether she's going to get the hundred years in purgatory or not, I don't know, <laughs> or just another uh, another weekend on a network rail. <laughs> so. We're back with God and the Devil here, and uh, we learn that the train, depending who you speak to, is either called the Heavenly Express or Satan's Cannonball, which, again, I know I like to posit band names, Mitch. There's my, there's my new one for you. That's strong. This is at the point where we get the awkward breakdance intermission that we were talking about earlier. Which Yes, back to the song again. This could be the, the song that accompanies Purgatory. <laughs> yes. I'm okay with that, by the way. Like, I'm, <laughs> Um, with the benefit of hindsight, the breakdancing does look a little bit stilted, like it's an approximation of breakdancing. So we get a bit of pop and lock action, a bit of the band again hopping about. Quite a lot of the band, in fact, it seemed. Just things to go on for ages. Yeah. <laughs> yeah th- this might be the longest moment that we have to endure the band. I think it's 100% the longest yeah. bit. It definitely yeah. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I think, I think that you get a kind of like, you get a verse chorus and then this long dance break, then I'm pretty sure another chorus <laughs> before going further. So we love the uh, shot of him, um, the singer on top of the train, uh, sat between two girls, almost doing doing some sort of, sort of boat dance type of thing. It's, it's, it's really peculiar. <laughs> uh, it's at this point that I kind of lose all semblance of what's happening with the film as we cannonball uh, into the third segment, the case of Claire Hansen. Now, the case of Claire Hansen, Graham, I would say this was the segment that. The reason that I watched this again, I think the real driving factor for me to watch this a second time was because I felt like I really needed to go back and make a square go of making sense of this. This was the one that I feel... I I think that possibly, again, it might be because of the kind of distillation that's happened to these three stories. This is the one that I had to go back and be like, really kind of try and put together the nuts and bolts of it. Because I think that it's probably narratively the most ambitious one of the three indeed and also it has um you know some quite powerful little moments in it i mean it opens with um in a uh a, a sort of death camp a nazi death camp yeah. it's just quite a brutal um unpleasant scene uh and, and so you, you get the measure of just the, the level of sadism that's going to be um meted out and uh and, and so sort of the cruelty as well but uh but yeah it kind of it kind of becomes quite almost cartoonish in some ways, uh, but you do get Cameron Mitchell though. Yeah, and Cameron Mitchell. Uh, uh, he he did a number of um, well, he's done a lot of stuff. He did a lot of um, films with Mario Bava, mm-hmm. and uh, he, of course, if you're of a particular age, I am. Uh, he was in a TV series called High Chaparral. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was, uh, as far as I was concerned, he, he, he'd always been a cowboy in earlier life. Uh, um, but yeah, yeah, a man that just always seems to have been, he's still with us, is he not, I believe? Or if he isn't, he you know, almost ought to be. He was certainly um, was a very, very busy actor who, who was constantly um, popping up everywhere. Yeah, I mean, he, I, I remember him first, I think, from Toolbox Murders, I think was the first thing I came across, Cameron Mitchell in. But he plays yeah. Stern who's our cop here, part William Shatner, part Columbo, yeah. all cop. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> and uh, yeah, so the, the, the hor- this horrible, really, really horrible Nazi scene that kicks off is uh, shown to be an, a nightmare. And nobody likes a Nazi nightmare, right? But this is to, shown to be the dream of Claire Hansen, who's rich. A uh, surgeon? Yeah, she's a surgeon. She's a good Catholic, we're told. And uh, we're shown pretty quickly that the murderous Nazi of the, the kind of story has moved through time unaged and timeless. Well, I, I, the impression I had was that that was, although maybe in a dream, dream is actually kind of a flashback to actual events. And I think you you, yeah. you, you have to imagine this uh, person um, has made a pact with the devil and um, is essentially going to live forever. Uh, he, he seems to have a purpose, though a higher purpose, oh, yeah, uh, which sure. I think becomes more apparent as the film as the film um, progresses. Yeah, um, definitely, and I think like, and I quite like the way that this that this is introduced because you've obviously got this kind of after you see this kind of the uh, the nightmare slash flashback, and I, similar, Graham, I, I agree that it's both. So you get this guy, the older guy, watching TV, and he sees... Abraham Weiss. Abraham Weiss, thank you, yeah. yeah. Watching TV, sees someone commenting on uh, the opera and recognises him immediately and kind of freaks out. And I quite like the fact that when that happens, kind of you kind of feel that with him. I think that yeah. the kind of that's it's it's quite a good sequence, and he goes and alerts uh, Stern. Stern, yeah. I know that I th- like it's 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 a good intro to that. And um, they, I mean, fair play to Stern. He uh, immediately he kind of he reassures Abraham that he can't really do anything about this, but they immediately jump in his car and they go to yeah. kind of hunt this guy down. Oh sure, figure <laughs> out what his deal is. <laughs> But poor Weiss, he doesn't really get much of a shake of the stick on much, any chance of redemption or anything like that, because he's pretty quickly offed when he sneaks into Olivier's house, and he's pretty quickly done in by when an enormous monster punches a hole clean through him, which is a shame, because yeah. there's no there's no resolution to be found for Abraham, there's no, no catharsis, catharsis for yeah. him, he's just offed pretty quickly. Yeah, they, they, they look like they should have been um, curtains in Suspiria, Imagine the, the the girl with the pins in her eyes coming out. Um, yeah, I think it. Yeah, I don't know whether it's making intentional nods sometimes, but yeah, it just seems to be a bit more than a coincidence that um, there are elements which kind of certainly reminded me of um, um, films which I think are being pilfered, perhaps. Yeah. But it, it's it's a real kind of hodgepodge. I mean, I think that there, there are many influences in this film, and in fact, it's kind of fairly packed with ideas. I would say, yeah. in, in a good kind of way. So it kind of you're never too sure where it's going to head off, you know, what, what direction it's going to go. Um, I mean, you know, by introducing this other character who, again, is uh, once again, um, I believe, Richard Mole from the um, previous sequence mm-hmm. uh, in, in a, a, a new wig. Um, <laughs> essentially, uh, yes, a non-believer. He, he's written a book, which is, you know, it's almost predating, you know, uh, Richard Dawkins, um, yeah. you know, the God Delusion. And um, isn't it called God is uh, Dead? God is Dead. Yeah, I believe. God is Dead. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, fair to say that uh, he, he's not a believer, and um, and you get another character who's introduced. It's one of the one of, the, one of these funny little coincidences that um, we're looking at a film uh, anthology film set on a train, and I, I was kind of reminded of um, um, Horror Express more more than a few times. Right. And um, of course, in Horror Express, you have the bearded uh, priest who who ultimately takes on what he believes is uh, Satan's soul, I guess, although it's obviously an alien form. But um, and it, this guy didn't seem dissimilar. You have this kind of troubled man who, who I, I don't, I can't remember quite what how he's describing himself. But whether he's actually, is he a priest? Papini, I, don't, I can't he, remember. Papini's a, a form, former monk. We learn that Papini was a monk 
Um, and he he's got the six 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 marker the devil on him, which um, is uh, yeah. So he's a survivor of a, a kind of a similar attack, I think. Yeah, he kind of looks like the the hobo guy from Hellraiser. But yeah, he he's kind of playing uh, the kind of part of the priest from the Omen, who kind of barges in and he's he's calling the odds. He's trying to make it quite clear that there's something serious going down here, and he is punished for that. Yeah, I guess that's a. <laughs> As much as we can glean. <laughs> That's certainly the way it seems. And ultimately he is um, killed in a frankly bizarre fashion on the beach. This whole sequence is, is, is baffling. Um, trying to figure out what the hell's going on here is madness. So when he gets arrested, we jump cut quickly to a nightclub scene where I think part of Olivier's pact with the devil must be that he has to wear ridiculous shirts because he <laughs> is dressed ludicrously in every scene possible. But this leads to one of my favourite moments when he takes a, a young filly back to his bedroom and it's revealed exactly how evil he is when he takes off his black socks and he's got cloven hooves. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I love that. She's not happy about it, is she? Yeah, I mean... That's a way of putting it, yeah. Understandable. <laughs> See, um, it's it's her... It's So the girl that went back uh, with Olivier, she was a waitress in the... Uh, the nightclub. In, in the club, wasn't she? So her boyfriend kind of is waiting for her and then she's kind of like very kind of abruptly discarded from a vehicle. Right. She's just kind of like... She's kind of just dumped... Um, at the side of the road so he kind of goes presumably to kind of go and kind of look for a bit of kind of redemption here and the claymation stop motion encounter here where he's kind of off by the monster is unbelievable oh it's amazing <laughs> well again it's um these were new effects added for this um for the purpose of this film in order to create something far superior to what existed before which again <laughs> begs the question what on earth existed before <clears throat> that could en- in any way be inferior yeah <laughs> but it's just the the, the kind of ambition of um, stop motion, which, you know, it, it can never quite achieve what it wants to do. Mm-hmm. But somehow, again, it just has this kind of quality. Of course, monsters are one thing, but when you have um, human figures represented by little clay men, they kind of just, <laughs> yeah. kind of just fall down slightly. <laughs> Yeah, I felt like I felt that was I felt like that was that was maybe a bridge too far. Yeah, that that yes. little that little man is as believable a human as Tony Hart's morph. Yes, exactly. I, I did think exactly the same thing. <laughs> well, it's just there's no attempt to even give it you know realistic adult proportions. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like five bits of different coloured plasticine squashed together, an approximation of an anthropomorphised human figure. That's so true. Yeah, like uh, yeah, it's like the head's massive, kind of the torso is a little bit clunky, the arms are a bit long. Yeah, right, yeah, no, it's it's true, it's true. Uh, one of my favourite, one of my favourite, uh, kind of sort of nonsense sequences happens shortly after this when Claire, uh, she kind of she goes to the church. Oh yeah, and has a conversation with the uh, the priest who gets some unbelievable dialogue. Yeah, and they're like, uh, when uh, so he kind of explains to her that she's kind of one of the chosen. She can't be destroyed by the devil. Mm-hmm. And then so the box emerges kind of from the floor. He gives her this box, the kind of contents unspecified at this point. But I love the way that he both the line and the delivery of it's made of the true wood of the cross of our Lord who died on it. Yes, it's it's fantastic, isn't it? And again, the, the box didn't exist in the original um, extended version. Jesus, uh, that that was just brought in for, um, I guess, a bit of visual excitement uh, um, for this sh- um, shorter version. But uh, it kind of reminded me of. Um, did you see the film Revelations, which has uh, fantastic Udo Kier, who is born to kill Jesus? Um, it's uh, completely absurd. <laughs> uh, it's fantastic though, but um, it has this box called the Loculus, 
which is made, um, it's like a puzzle box almost, but the, it's unlocked uh, because it's held together by the three nails that um, Jesus was crucified with. Okay. Right. And so it has some sort of resonance with that. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, no, yeah. You can tell that she's now a, a kind of warrior for Christ now because she's for some reason taken to wearing a white veil. Yes. So. Um, just, just in case we didn't get the idea that she's supposed to be good. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, my favourite thing about this entire sequence is the fact that she's wearing a veil and it's taking place in kind of like a confessional booth. And I kind of feel like the, the uh, anonymity is a little bit redundant because... Does he not refer to her by name? Yeah, by her full name and yeah. surname. Yeah. Yeah, he's actually like it's like it's oh it's like it's you, Claire Hansen. I was like, it's quite a bit grandstanding for the confessional. Well I mean he's <laughs> otherwise, I mean as he get you could get well, this I think, I think from... there's a bit of actor standing going there as well, going on there as well. from what I remember reading. I think the actors weren't available on the day and they just thought we'll, we'll shoot it anyway. Oh Jesus. Ah <laughs> Right. Okay. That and I think sense. the bell became a useful device really for that reason. And at this point, yes, yeah, like we kind of uh, the her kind of remit for the rest of the segment is set up. It's explained to her that it's her mission to remove the uh, remove the head or the heart. Sorry, the, the heart, heart of the yeah. devil's demon. Yeah. What we get here now is kind of we're moving towards setting up what Andy you characterise as one of your favourite kind of theological exchanges in the film. Uh huh. Yeah, I, I I really do think this this sequence has a lot to, a lot of interesting stuff to say. Far more than anything else across the film, except for maybe the the conversations between God and Satan. Um, but there's actually some interesting stuff going on under the surface here on a kind of theological level. If you could, I think if it was a more cohesive segment it might be more interesting than it, than it is as it stands just now the dialogue's kind of wasted and amongst all the madness but yeah there is some pretty cool stuff in here yeah i'd agree with that and you know i really do think that the uh, written dialogue between uh, god and satan is is you know it's not stupid it's um quite considered and i think that uh you know, I was actually taken aback at just how uh, kind of, you know, in- fairly intelligent mm-hmm. actually uh, was. And um, I did think that they did pose some uh, interesting questions. That, you know, the fact that they're kind of uh, shoehorned into this film um, kind of probably lets down the uh, intellectual debate somewhat. But, um, yeah. but, you know, I think it's one of its strengths that uh, there, there's no um, there's no need to make it an intelligent film at all. It's It's largely full of nonsense. But then you just get these little nuggets every now and again. Yeah. I mean, just in the same way we get um, um, that lovely song every now and again as well. Though. Yeah. <laughs> it's just it's just one of these films which just throws all these things at you and you're just not too sure what, what's going on. And you, you're kind of you're juggling with it in your head. Yeah. And, I and think, um, oh, yeah. you know, you, I, I've watched it about 20 odd times and um, it still <laughs> manages to surprise and baffle and annoy by equal measure but it's never not entertaining but yes i um i should let you get back to <laughs> where we were no no i mean i think i think that uh, i mean you're quite right and i think that yeah the god and satan stuff i think if you look at it in isolation i think that it's pretty interesting and i think that yeah the sequence here where um olivier kind of obviously shortly after he's kind of dispensed with the two investigators in pretty spectacular style that's great um, with the, with the, we was gonna say the exploding car, but it's kind of just like you, you see the two of them stuck as like one of them locked in the car, one outside it, and then it just seems to cut to stock footage of an explosion, <laughs> a Hiroshima level explosion. Uh, yeah. Also, yeah. just before, actually, just before that, but the cops are having a discussion, and uh, one of the cops is trying to kind of tell him that uh, Olivia's Satan. Remember, and he goes, uh, Satan, and the guy's like, what? And he goes, Satan. <laughs> just says it slower, like. <laughs> And then the guy's like, oh, right. Oh, right, okay, I got you. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, But yeah, so like, but all this is kind of setting up to, yeah, this kind of exchange between Olivier and Dr. Hansen, where Olivier is kind of trying to recruit Dr. Hansen to his side, which is ambitious, given that he's kind of a 
a world renowned skeptic. This is my favourite bit in the whole film is the the kind of discussion between Olivier and Hansen. Yeah, well, what's not to like? I mean, um, I, I, you can you could once again just you just are aware that there's so much more that should be going on here. But again, for brevity, they've had to uh, just make it very concise. And uh, well, once they concise, that should make it clearer, really. But it, it's not necessarily clearer at all. That whole scene as well. Uh, where the characters are, you kind of just imagine all these things are shot separately from each other, though, and just sort of edited together. And uh, yeah, it just makes it very odd. I, I feel I, I'm, I still can't. Well, have we already had the bit where um, the guy with the beard goes up the staircase to confront the kind of nun character? Uh, yeah, that's, um, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Papini. Yeah. They kind of have the, the the kind of confrontation on the stairwell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's when he gets Which, um, kind of blown away into the beach. That's right. Yes, of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, there's so many, so many things going on here. It's, it's, it's <laughs> my memory. That just you know, just I mean, it jumps around all over the place anyway, though, and it's just very hard to. Uh, kind of keep a sort of a sort of a, a good catalogue going on in your head oh definitely i mean like i watched this less than 24 hours ago and then again less than two hours ago and i'm and i've got eight pages of notes in front of me and i'm still kind of like i'm, I'm kind of grabbing at i'm kind of gra- i'm kind of grabbing at the elements that <laughs> um yeah no so i, I know like I, I kind of feel your pain on that one but uh yeah the, this philosophical discussion kind of ends predictably with a claymation <laughs> standoff yeah. and is it like a claymation yeah. crucifixion that's right yeah and i think that what you were saying earlier about kind of like the monsters the claymation monsters and that looking good the claymation humans looking terrible i think that there's a proper team america vibe about the crucifixion yeah and i, I, I quite like the idea that these are the improved effects <laughs> yeah i can't go over that i i i, I it's a I'd really love to see what was what was what was there before, but yeah, yep. So uh, Olivier re- kind of re- regains human form after turning into this beast that crucifies uh, Hansen, um, and he kind of swaggers outside into the like into the street on his kind of country estate or whatever it is, and then he's pretty unceremoniously run over, which is quite an easy end to him, like considering he's like Satan's emissary. Well, so it appears, and it, it kind of is. Like he doesn't put up a gigantic fight beyond this point. Oh, well, you know. Shit happens. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so like the bit, uh, Claire's kind of grand mission of the piece is what we cut to there after she runs him over. Mm-hmm. This kind of attempt to extract his heart, which um, by all accounts, like after a bit of a struggle, and I, like it's, I think it's a pretty cool sequence, the kind of the surgery sequence. Uh-huh. I think it's pretty well done. No, I, I, I thought so as well, though. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, it's all against the clock, isn't it? I, I seem to recall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, isn't it? there's some, some sort of countdown going on. It's yeah, it's pretty. Fever. He's kind of, I think he's kind of recovering some kind of strength because he's pulling things towards him and cabinets are flying open and yeah. Um, so yeah, I think they've got to, they're kind of up against it to carve his heart out before he recovers his power or his energy. And um, everything about this yeah. is like, everything about this is I think it's, it's really competently done. The sequence, I think it's one of the be- I think it's one of the best sequences in the film. Yes, there's there's been some money thrown at it. <laughs> absolutely yeah yeah a convincing heart as well true yeah absolutely however uh all for naught in the end well yeah weirdly she cuts his heart out puts it in the god box and you think well that's it well done she, good has triumphed over evil but it does nothing absolutely nothing no he, he, he rises he rises and kills her she got some fat, bad advice <laughs> It's true, yeah, yeah, yeah. That priest didn't know his stuff after all. He's been sold that box, like in the Vatican, uh, from some street peddler who told him that that was the box made out of uh, bits from the cross, and he's fucking bought it. Hook, line, and sinker, man. Hook, line, and sinker. I oh, know. One um, born every minute, Mitch. <laughs> but um, yeah, Olivia swans out of the hospital, and game over with the segment. Like, uh, yeah, evil triumphs, and we're back in the train for the final time. 
And again, a kind of interesting one, I think, uh, where God and Satan kind of ruminate on what Claire's fate will be. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously God kind of claim, like, kind of claims her on the proviso that she was kind of faithful. Till the end. To the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, regardless of the kind of misinformation that she'd been given. Which seems fair. Um, what I think is possibly less fair here is uh, because uh, Satan... He doesn't explain the box, though, does he? No. He probably didn't know about it, though, because it hadn't been shot at that point. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's so true, yeah. He's also selective of the information he gives out. He's got to be. But it's so, yeah, so ultimately God, I think, with good reason, decides to keep Claire's soul for himself. Fair victory. Um, But I think that letting her decide whether or not to keep her husband is giving Satan short shrift. (laughs) I think that's that's going to be bargaining. At this point, though... um, So wait, that means God's quite willing to take him. He's willing to take him. He's open to the idea, despite Claire's husband being absolutely against the existence of God or Satan. That's true. Well, you know, I guess that's one that will debate for um, the rest of time. Good lord. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it it seems up. like more of a purgatory discussion, but yeah. throws up a lot of theological discussion points in this film. It does. It does. But at this point, the conductor enters and announces that it's dawn. Mm, I know what that means. It's, yeah, it's game over time. Not without another dose of uh, everybody but you, though. Yes. Another, <laughs> another generous helping of that. Um, yeah, the, the 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 train crashes. We are the journey is at its end. A toy train crashes. Yes. What is what is transparently a toy train? <laughs> um, God banishes Satan to walk the earth, uh-huh. and then we're pretty much out. Yeah, there's a nice panning shot. I think they, they agree, don't they? That the God God says that um, talks to the devil, saying that basically you can have all the. Uh, despots, dictators, the rich. Uh, he has a little list of, um, you know, those that should go to hell. And then he says, the rest are mine. And I don't know, have, um, does he decide he's going to let the um, the band musicians come with him to heaven? Because there is that bizarre final shot on the uh, credit roll at the end yeah. with the train going across a little uh, celestial railway. <laughs> it kind of reminded me of that sequence in um, uh, The Meaning of Life. That they're all going to, they've all been killed. And they're also going to heaven, and um, they just turn to me and say, should we take the cars? And you see a little fleet of cars going up to heaven. <laughs> well, they are American. Well, the very yeah, last... They don't walk anywhere. <laughs> the very last note I've got written here is a question, and it's, are the band going to heaven? Yeah, I think... Well, this is what, this is what is happening, yes, I think I think so. Yeah, yeah. I, I, would, I would say that's, that's Just true. before that, there's a cool panning shot where it, the camera kind of slowly glides over the, the carnage post-crash of the band uh, and the dancers, all dead, all dead, but your main man, the lead singer, he is dead but he's still in a breakdancing pose <laughs> You get another blast of a song though, don't you? Just just proving that they're probably still singing all the way up to heaven uh, Yeah, I think that, <laughs> like, I think that yeah, but the fact that you see, the, like you say, the train on the Celestial Railway and that song playing in, along with it, I think that's, they're headed for heaven. But then it the song cuts off and... I suspect God is going to regret that, though. <laughs> oh, fuck yeah. They, yeah, he'll be like, oh my God, get these assholes away. But that... They play the, they play the song to a point and then they play a kind of orchestral number for maybe 30 seconds and then they start that fucking song again. I think it's, it'd be a bit too obvious just to restart it um, straight away. So I think they go to that bit of music which is in the uh, death club scene. <laughs> okay, um, just right. to give you some sort of suggestion that there is a variety going on here, but then it goes back to the song again. I must admit, like I, 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 I see when it went to the kind of really dramatic music and then started the song again. I properly laughed when that happened because it was just like I thought it was gone. There it was. 
<laughs> they rinse the shit out of that song. They really do, yeah. Um, but like, yeah, it it has a desired effect because, like I say, it's been lodged in my head now for more than twenty four hours, and I'm assuming that that will carry on into tomorrow. Graham, this was um this was a really interesting selection, and I kind of came into the conversation not really sure what I made of it. I feel like I've gotten more out of it. I feel like I've like, I think this is one of the conversations that I think that I've probably learned the most about the film. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I just thought it was a hodgepodge of nonsense. Um, which I think there's still an element of truth to, but I think that <laughs> um, but what you've told us about um, you know, like what the original kind of forms of these stories were and things like that, I think that. It answers a lot of the questions I have about, like I say, some of the kind of uh, some of the disjointed feel or some of the narrative to some of this. Yeah, I quite like the idea, though, that um, I mean, when you know, all of this information is, is fairly recent that I, I've um, found out. But uh, I, I quite like the idea that actually you, you can watch the film and you kind of think, well, actually, this is it. There was no more. This is it. Mm-hmm. But actually, is this just a terrible film or uh, is it an intriguing film? Um, does it kind of leave you begging for more? Well, it kind of does in a way, I guess, though, because you kind of want some sort of explanation. But it's one of those films, again, <laughs> I think that you, you can sort of happily fill in the gaps for yourself though, and actually kind of make it a more interesting film in some ways. So. But I also like the, the idea that it kind of fits into this lovely uh, little um, almost kind of genre of um, peril on trains. Uh, you know, we mentioned uh, Horror Express earlier on, which I think is um, its nearest kin, shall we say. But then, of course, the other obvious one is uh, Dr. Terrace House of Horrors, where we yeah. have... Um, death um presiding over the fates of uh, uh five gentlemen on a carriage and um you know i, I think it's uh, i think it's a good thing i, I do like a train film <laughs> <laughs> that's fair um but yeah i think that um like i say i, I i've come out kind of more curious about the film i probably came out thinking that it might not be one that i revisit now i think i might kind of knowing what i know mm-hmm. um andy had you seen this before because obviously it was the, these first no. two the two watches that i had here were my first two watches of it no i hadn't so the um, first watch for you as well yeah i think there's something maddeningly charming about it and i don't know what it is a part of me really 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 feels like there's a massive missed opportunity somewhere in it as well though i want to see all of the three segments in their entirety I know that's never going to happen, but I really want to. And the one that I'm most intrigued by is the third one, the case of Claire Hansen. Uh, I would love to see that as the film it was intended to be. Like yeah. I say, I think the film raises a lot of, well, that film and the stuff with God and, uh, and Satan raise a lot of interesting questions, a lot of interesting points. That's sad to me that that's not the full film. <laughs> uh, but I will absolutely 100% watch this again. And like like Graham said, I'm going to force everybody I know to watch this. Well, if you get the um, it's uh, Vinegar Syndrome yeah. Blu-ray release, it comes with the DVD uh, as well. But it has apparently does have the full version of uh, The Case of Greta Connors on it. Oh, really? So uh, I haven't watched it yet myself, though. I almost don't want to, but uh, I think I might have to now. I would quite like to see that. I think I would have to. That segment's the one that I responded to the most, so I would quite like to see that in its original form. That would be really interesting to me. Graham, thanks for choosing this. Before we wrap up, just want to take a minute to talk about um, uh, if there's anything that you're up to right now or anything you've been working on that you'd like to talk about. Well, interestingly, because this is, um, this is a 1985 piece of work, we can call it that of sorts i suppose <laughs> um the 80s being i think you know a period that uh, uh many people regard as being a sort of a sort of golden age for horror uh, propelled partly obviously by video as well home home entertainment uh-huh. um but uh i'm going to be participating in a documentary uh about uh, 80s horror films um so uh, i'll probably be doing a short interview within the documentary but i'm doing a poster which will uh incorporate a lot of the uh, characters from the era um or the obvious obvious ones like freddy and um you know, ash from evil dead etc there's about 20 different characters in there but uh, a few 
Actually, I've not seen. I've never seen Pumpkinhead, funnily enough, and um, I'm not really that familiar with Pet Cemetery either. But these were two films the director was quite keen to incorporate, um, which might have it might be something to do with the uh, other people he's got involved in the film um, mm-hmm. being interviewed. But uh, yeah, that that's uh, that's something that he wants to put together very very quickly. So my work has to be finished within the next two weeks. Oh wow! And uh, presumably the interview will be. Um, uh, finished by then, but I think he wants to get it online uh, in October, uh, certainly in time for Halloween. So it's it's quite a swift job he's trying to put together here. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm I'm quite excited to see what's going to happen with it though, because um, he has high hopes for um, the, the the people involved and uh, where he's going to place it as well. He he's uh, seems to be very savvy about um, social media and how he's going to use that mm-hmm. uh, to best effect and also to get it out there on, on a on this particular platform as well. So, yeah, so that's one to look out for anyway, though. Um, and I'm guessing doing all the usual kind of Blu-ray covers and stuff. Yes, I've just done a, a particularly uh, naughty one. Uh, I'm embarrassed doing it, actually. But anyway, um, it does feature some breasts, I can tell you that much. Oh, so um, <laughs> Graham, you got any uh, social media channels you want to, uh, people want to keep up with you, anything like that? Well, you can find me on Facebook, uh, obviously, and, um, you know, keep going to the website because I've got a little Twitter uh, link on there as well. So any uh, anything coming up and anything I can share, because obviously most of the work I do is confidential until the point it's actually made public. Yeah, sure. um, as soon as I can, then I'll, I'll bung it up there anyway, and I'll keep adding the new images as they happen to the website when I can. Uh, other than that, there is an Instagram presence, which I kind of rarely use, to be quite honest. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, sometimes I'll use Twitter, but um, to be quite honest, I'm, I'm more of a, I quite like Facebook uh you know, that's that's just um, me being old fashioned. <laughs> <laughs> that passes for old fashioned nowadays, isn't it? God Almighty! Yeah. <laughs> Graham, uh, uh, Graham, thanks a lot for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Graham. Well, it's been fun, and uh, you know, I've loved discussing this film, and I'll discuss it for hours. <laughs> but uh, I do urge everybody to go and see it. Grab hold of a copy. As I say, Vinegar Syndrome of the company that um, are uh, you buy it from the states, and uh, the 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 region it's region free. It appears the Blu-ray, so it will play. And um, and yes, seek out the single. Yeah. The, uh, uh, the B side is Greta's theme. Oh. Uh, as I say, this is uh, minus thirty-seven of five hundred. I, I imagine there's um, a good sort of four hundred fifty out there. And for anyone who doesn't want it, doesn't want to import from America, you can find uh, Night Train to Terror on Shudder. Yeah, streaming on Shudder. Yeah, yeah, so it's on Shudder. Fantastic. Excellent, Graham. Thank you very much. Well, thank you as well. I'm kind of almost turned around on Night Train to Terror. After that uh, we're going to end up watching Night Train to Terror together pretty soon, I would think. I would say that's probably on the cards. I would also, <laughs> I would, I, I would also watch like a three and a half hour cut of that film with all of the original, with all the original features. Oh really? Yeah. Could you imagine? Fucking hell. Well, it'd be more than that, wouldn't it? It would be like six hours, five, five and a half hours, or something. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Five hour super cut. Fuck it. Let's go. <laughs> but a massive thanks to uh, Mr. Graham Humphreys for joining us. Oh yeah, yeah. He's he's just a lovely man. Also, like, yeah. um, just casually dropping in more references than I could keep up with to yep. other work as well. I'm, I'm like I said, I'm going to try and finally get the use of our Letterboxd account. Yeah, we set that up and we've done fuck all with it. Yeah, I think uh, that this is this has been the kind of kick in the arse that I need to get the wheels turning on the Letterboxd. Right. Okay, you can you can take control of that then. Okay, I'll take ownership of that. That's Excellent. fine. I'll get that done. I have to be fair, I do fuck all else on this podcast, so it's about time that I start, <laughs> <laughs> about time I start pulling my weight. I don't know, you've put, two, you've put about 30 seconds of music together. That's, that's true, yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> not to be taken lightly. Uh, also, excuse me, I wrote Death Party. Oh, uh, yep, sorry, yeah, sorry, my, uh, my bad. Uh, I guess that's just about it for another one. We will be back, of course, this coming Monday. Yep. With um, another mini-sode, um, all the usual stuff you've come to expect in mini-sodes, Mitch's Pitches, Podcast Recommendations, Shockwaves 100. Yep, 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 yep. And also thanks to everybody that checked out, yet again, another bonus-sode on Wednesday. Yeah. Don't get cocky, there won't be one this week. Yep. Um, but if you want to get in touch with us, of course, you can uh, Facebook and Instagram Strong Language Violent Scenes there you can tweet us at Strong Violent PC or email Strong Language Violent Scenes at gmail.com and of course there's a million billion ways you can listen to us but uh, in particular why don't you try checking us out on Stitcher iTunes Spotify Google Podcasts and Podbean and of course if you do listen on iTunes then please 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 subscribe and rate and review yeah please do all that stuff it does make a big difference so we'll be back on monday and it's normally around this time that i would give you some advice about chuds yep but instead playing us off ladies and gentlemen mr joe tirano Good night. Good night. You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain. Production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean. <laughs>